0: Hello and welcome to the London School of
1: Theology podcast.
0: You are listening to our weekly chapel service.
1: Today's sermon will be delivered by a guest speaker.
0: London School of Theology. Forming disciples. Resourcing churches. Impacting society.
1: When I was asked uh, a couple of months ago to come to LST, you know, I'll be honest, um, you know, after... Uh, you know, the excitement of coming back, uh, one of my first reactions was panic. Uh, one of the more obvious reasons is you're a slightly larger um, audience than uh, my ten students in, in my class that I classes that I usually teach at Baylor or the same fifteen people that I see again and again at conferences. You know, you go around and and uh, kind of listen to each other's work. Um, but as I started kind of probing even further, I think I realized. I was feeling a strong pressure to come up with something new, to tell you something that you had never heard before, something that was going to prompt you know, some brand new insight that would change your life and solve all your problems. Okay, I didn't expect that of myself, but, you know, but still. Um, you know, and this, that realization brought me right back to something that I have been thinking about now for uh, on and off for the last few years, which is the importance of repetition. Things that we need to hear over and over and over again for them to really sink in. You know, that we need regular patterns and habits that become ingrained into us to shape us as human beings into the person that that God wants. And so much of what you'll hear today um, may not be new, and that's okay, so let's start by looking at our psalm that the worship team so beautifully led us in um, in that lovely call and response. Uh, so did you realize? I bet nobody was counting, but um, you sang His love endures forever 26 times, 26 verses in that psalm. So this this wasn't even you know what I heard called you know kind of. Back in the day, there's a 7-11 chorus where you sing the same seven words 11 times. No, this was inspired scripture, and you just sang four words 26 times. <laughs> so um, I think the psalmist is trying to make a point in this psalm. What could it be? Uh, hmm. Could it be, you know, to use the words of another song, that God's love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on us? I think what's so beautiful and powerful about this psalm is the story that's interspersed between the repetitions of this central theme. The psalmist calls the gathered community to give thanks to God. It starts out with, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. First of all, because God is good and because God is all powerful, the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Therefore, God is able to carry out his purposes on behalf of his people, the world, and the cosmos. But the psalmist doesn't leave it at that. In verses 4 through 25 of the passage, the psalmist advances his argument about the goodness and power of God with a story. This story sets, first of all, or it starts with the wonders of creation, where God created the heavens and the earth. The psalm reads, and I'm going to skip the uh, the, uh, repetition for now to him who alone does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night. It continues through the faithfulness of God in Egypt, where God took down the most powerful empire in the world to lead his people to freedom. God didn't leave his chosen people on their own after the Exodus. God prepared a way for them, carved out a land for his pilgrim people. He remembered us in our lowest state and freed us from our enemies, the psalmist says. But then I enjoy the kind of the the subtle turn at the end of this psalm. Um, in Psalm um, 23 and 24, he remembered us in our low estate. His love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. And here's the turn He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. So the psalmist has spent most of the psalm recounting God's mighty deeds in the past. God made, God struck down, God led, God gave, God remembered. Then the psalmist said, God gives food to every creature. Present tense, God gave and God gives. And because God's love endures forever, God will continue to give. Mm -hmm. So what response can we make to this except give thanks to the God of heaven, his love endures forever, amen and amen. So for the next few minutes, um, I want to kind of turn from this foundation, foundational scripture into discussing a, a central aspect that makes the Psalms and music more generally so powerful in our worship, and that is repetition. Despite repetition's usefulness and power, it tends to get a bad rap. Uh, when it comes to music and worship. So let's spend a couple of minutes figuring out why that is. So to diagnose our, specifically our, you know, kind of Protestant um, uh, but pro- Protestant problems, but those that we see in other traditions as well, to diagnose our problems with repetition. It's helpful to draw from um, James K.A. Smith's Imagining the Kingdom, where in his uh, final chapter, he's got this lovely section on redeeming repetition. So he says, um, we, especially Protestants, have a built-in allergy to repetition of- in words Worship, though we're quite happy to affirm the value of repetition in almost every other sphere of life, from study to music to sports to art, well, maybe not church music, you know, or worship music, uh, 7-Eleven choruses, you know, again. Um, Smith goes on to identify three uh, causes of this allergy. So one of them is the conflation of of all forms of repetition with vain repetition. Uh, Vain repetition, don't know how many of you, like I did, grew up with the King James, uh, but vain repetition is a phrase from the King James Version taken from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. This is where repeated acts are understood as works righteousness, as spiritual insincerity, as trying to, quote, score points or get something from God by going through the motions. The second cause of our allergy to repetition is uh, the model um, uh, Smith talks about of worship as expression. Here, Smith means that oftentimes we have this impoverished understanding of worship as being only a private encounter between the individual and God. We feel like we need to conjure up something novel or original as ways to express ourselves, something that God hasn't heard before. As silly as, when you say it out loud, as silly as that sounds, we see doing something again as being insincere or maybe as not giving God our best. The third cause of the allergy to repetition is um, the cult of novelty, or um, Smith's term that I like even better, chronological snobbery. We get this from our late modern culture, the disposal mentality where we consume something and move straight on to whatever we think is or whatever the marketers have convinced us is the next bigger or better thing. But worship, Smith argues, is both expressive and formative. If I get the next slide. There is no formation without repetition. If Christian worship is going to be formative, it has to be repetitive. God created us as creatures of habit and meets us where we are. Um, Indeed, the Father invites us to union with Christ through spirit-charged practices that over and over again sink us into the triune life. It is in their repetition that the story begins to sink into our imagination, thus sanctifying our perspective and engendering action towards the kingdom. So I think that music, I would think this as I'm a musicologist, right, (laughs) that music is the perfect lens through which to look at the power and promise of repetition in our spiritual lives. Repetition isn't an optional quality for music. And I imagine some of you have listened to some music. Sometimes, well, all of us have heard music just this morning. Music is by its very nature repetitious. And this applies to all music, not just what we think of as bad music. So, all the way from da 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 to baby shark do 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 do. So. we love music? Because of, not in spite of, its repetitive character. In fact, some psychologists of music today think of repetition as the main characteristic that makes music, music. So I'm going to do something, you know, maybe a little fun, this will be the new part, hopefully, of the, uh, <laughs> so the actual novelty that I will bring to you, uh, is a music psychological experiment. So, uh, many of us are familiar with visual illusions that, like, play on our, uh, on our perspective, right? So, this is, uh, what I'm going to play for you is an oral illusion. It was discovered slash created by music psychologist Diana Deutsch, and this is, what you're going to hear is a sentence from an audio guide that she rec- uh, recorded that accompanied one of her sound experiment albums. So um, as we listen, I am going to ask you what may seem like a, a very silly question is that, is this speaking or singing?
0: The sounds as they appear to you are not only different from those that are really present, but they sometimes behave so strangely as to seem quite impossible.
1: Okay, so was that difficult for anybody? To classify that as speech <laughs> rather than song as speaking? Okay. Uh, so yeah, I was like, uh, students uh, in my classes, I love to do it. The like, sounds as
0: they appear to oh, you are not only the, different yeah, from the those morning. that are really <laughs> present,
1: <laughs> um, but they uh, sometimes yeah. behave students so look at strangely me like I you know, have three eyes and, uh, and say, obviously that's speaking. Now, um, but thinking about repetition, let's listen to it again and again and again and see if we hear something else.
0: The sounds as they appear to you are not only different from those that are really present, but they sometimes behave so strangely as to seem quite impossible. But they sometimes behave so strangely, they sometimes behave so strangely, sometimes behave so strangely, sometimes behave so strangely, strangely Sometimes behave so strangely. 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 So strangely. So strangely. strangely.
1: (laughs) Very nice. I was like, I have never had an audience break out into song at that part. That was fabulous. Thank you. Thank you for illustrating that point. Okay, so it's always fun to look out and see the dawning of recognition, you. you know, at the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth time through this, where people are like, I can sing this, and here we go, yeah, sometimes behave so strangely, <laughs> if you want the musical notation for, uh, for that. Uh, so for what music psychologist Diana Deutsch and others have found is that about 85% of the time, by the time people hear this phrase repeated eight times, it has turned from speech into music. So for note readers out there, it looks like this. Um, now, if you're part of the 15% that has no clue what people were murmuring about or laughing about or anything, uh, please don't worry. Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life too. <laughs> it's a normal human variation. It's 85%. Um, you know, here began hearing this as music. So, so what happened? What happened here? Cognitive science predicts, um, you know, that for most of you. Oh, let's see, before we get there, could we, uh, I think I've got one more, uh, one more slide. Um, so when this slide starts to, um, to play, uh, we're gonna go back and put the repeated phrase back into the content, context of the sentence and see what happens.
0: The sounds as they appear to you are not only different from those that are really present, but they sometimes behave so strangely as to seem quite impossible. <laughs>
1: Yes, so this time when you heard the entire thing, I bet for many of you that phrase, it was like she burst into song. Sometimes behave so strangely. Yeah, Say uh, of of all the things to go out of chapel singing today, I hope that that was not it. Uh, So what happened? What changed? There is no trick involved here. There there was no auto-tuning. It was exactly the same sentence you heard the first time when you all looked at me and were just like, she was speaking. Um, So the sound didn't change. What changed was you. By hearing that line repeated, you were able to shift your perception And hear things that at first you didn't hear and probably could not have heard the first time through, at least not with a whole lot of ear training and making a very, very conscious effort. So the question I'd like for us to consider is, what can repetition, the central quality of music, teach us about our spiritual lives, our lives that are lived before God and others? So first off, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about repetition, memory, and novelty. First, and maybe most obviously, repetition is one of the most powerful tools humans use to remember things. We all know that music is a great tool for helping us remember words. How many of us learned the books of the Bible with a song? You know, the only problem with learning things along with music is that, you know, it takes us a long time to access things towards the end. So it's like Zephaniah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, <laughs> um, but it turns out our ability, our very ability to remember things. Is based on whatever scaffolding we already have in our brain. So our very ability to process new input is similar to what we already know. Um, here I want to quote um, someone who has a fabulous job, uh, Brian Rabinowitz, who is a neuroscientist of Christmas music. So giving you all a new career option here. So uh, Rabinovitz writes that, quote, when we hear a song for the first time, the brain searches a catalog of musical structures that it has been building since the time we first listened to music. Whether or not we enjoy new music is contingent upon whether we can predict patterns in it that align with what we have stored in our catalogs. Anything that repeats has a greater likelihood of making it into our musical structure memory bank. And as long as the renditions of the same song stay within predictable patterns, the listener will still experience pleasure by guessing what comes next. So, Rabinovitz was, this was in the context of him studying, like, Christmas songs, these songs that come back again and again and again, that every pop artist in the entire world feels like they need to make a new rendition, the 630,000th rendition of Silent Night. So um, repetition doesn't just help us remember old things. It forms the very structures that help us process the new things that we hear. So this is where I think there are crystal clear parallels between musical repetition and the life of faith. Over the process of months and years and decades, we hear the gospel story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, creation, redemption, or fall, redemption, restoration, over and over again, letting that sink into us and shape us. If we become so immersed, so steeped in the Christian story, Um, that it builds our structures of thought and habit, we find we're able to recognize it anywhere, within the four walls of a church or outside in God's world. And we will find that the Spirit has, um, at the same time, is weaving it into our words and our actions. So going back to something our neuroscientist of Christmas music said, he spoke of there being pleasure in guessing what comes next. So uh, the pleasure is physiologically powerful. Another thing that um, that, that music cognition specialists have discovered when they put electrodes on people's heads, yes, this is also a job (laughs) that that you can get paid to do, um, is putting electrodes on people's heads and uh, letting them, having them listen to music, they find, find that the kind of satisfaction, that anticipation of what's coming next, that that results in a powerful dopamine hit to our brain's reward center. So there is more than a historical connection between sex, drugs, and rock and roll, they are linked <laughs> by the reaction that they produce in the brain this hit of hit of dopamine. So, and I think within our theological tradition, you know, long before that was, you know, uh, that was found out by music cognition um, scientists, um, repetition and pleasure. There's um, a beautiful observation. I think I've got this on a slide from um, a- from G.K. Chesterton. Oh, yes. I'll say? I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> children, so before we get to G.K. Chesterton, so these are my two lovely daughters, Georgia and Jenny, who I get to go see on Thursday, I'm very, very excited about that, but uh, they went through, or Jenny, uh, fairly recently, and she has, well, she repetitions, you know, of it, The uh, the do it again phase, the do it again, the I will do something, I, it was chicken noises in the car on the way to school one day that I did not. Yes, I made chicken noises all the way because it was as funny the 37th time somehow (laughs) as it was, you know, the first time. And so G.K. Chesterton uh, makes a beautiful observation in Orthodoxy about repetition and childlike delight. So he says a child kicks his legs rhythmically through excess, not absence of life, because children have abounding vitality, because they are... In spirit, fierce and free, therefore, they want to do things repeated and unchanged. They always say, Do it again. And the grown up person does it again until he is nearly dead <laughs> or very tired of making chicken noises. For grown up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, Do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Strong enough to exult in monotony. It being a sign of strength rather than weakness, to find pleasure in repetition, that's convicting. (laughs) And challenging. So, um, one of the last points I'd like to make is about repetition as formation, altering mind and body. So, repetition is necessary in the spiritual life because by submitting ourselves to it, it will slowly but surely change our perception of reality in the same way that on the small scale that uh, sometimes behaves so strangely um, uh, did. So... Perfect example of this. Because you were forced to listen to that phrase over and over and over again, you were able to discover aspects of its pitch and rhythm that weren't at all apparent on first hearing. So the way repetition in music changes perception and experience has been demonstrated uh, compellingly by cognition specialist Elizabeth Margulis. And if you're interested in some of the things that I've been telling you today, go find her book On Repeat. Her research has found that repetition deepens anyone's understanding of music, not just people with four decades of formal training. Um, Margulis's research shows that we are able to pay attention to only to small-scale repetitions when we are unfamiliar with a song. So we can, most of us, even on hearing something the first time, we can tell when the chorus comes back or when we're doing a second verse of something. Um, But on repeated listenings, our temporal span is zoomed out and we can look forward even further to the next phrase or the next section of a song. Um, she found also that listeners shift their attention to other things that are going on in the music. So maybe at first they were just listening to the words, um, you know, the, the melody and the text put together, but then, you know, maybe they are listening to the rhythm or the instruments that come together to form the musical texture. So she sees this repetition as, key to our participation in music. She says repeated music produces a special absorption. Listening ahead to what comes next, we feel like we're participating in the course of the music itself. So again, to bring things back to our faith, I think Margulis's research here paints us a beautiful picture of the now and the not yet um, elements of our faith. In music, We may be experiencing one sound in the moment, but the more we become familiar with the song, the more we perceive those individual sounds as part of a larger arc. The more we trust that though what we're hearing right now may be dissonant, it may be unresolved, there's a cadence coming that's going to bring resolution, that's going to bring peace. We anticipate what's coming, And it brings us joy and hope. So in this way, we can live fully in the present while imagining and anticipating the future at the same time. And this is the hope that we have to have when things get tough. Repetition in the Christian life is getting up early or staying up late to pray when we don't feel like it. Reading scripture when God is painfully silent serving others when it's thankless or risky, or showing up to gatherings of other believers when our doubts threaten to overwhelm us and our minds ask us, why are you here? This kind of repetition isn't easy. It takes courage, sometimes courage that we are only able to muster because of God's grace, because of the compassion of others. But it's this kind of repetition that I think is key to a sustainable spirituality. And this is very different from the what we might call the extreme or bimodal um, spirituality that some of us inherited from our revivalist forebears. Um, I grew up in this tradition that basically has only two modes. You're either backsliding or you're moving forward at a breakneck pace. So experiencing your spiritual life as a constant ricocheting, like a constant yo-yo um, between those two extremes is crazy-making. Um, and again, I, you know speaking from my own experience, I lived this for many years, and maybe some of you have as well. My education at a Christian university, much like this one, is what helped me put aside the spiritual yo-yo, and put on a rucksack instead to walk the long-distance trail, you know, putting one fumbling foot in front of the other. But, you know, something to remember, and especially in light of what I understand your community has gone through in the past few days, you know, you are not hiking this trail alone. There is a great cloud of witnesses cheering you on, the cloud of witnesses in this room, the cloud of witnesses, the communion of saints in heaven. So repetition, I think, is at the heart of Christian spirituality. It's putting one foot in front of the other day after day. It's a steady rhythm that brings body, mind, and spirit into beautiful alignment. So... Kind of to close us out today, I have asked the band, if you all would make your way up, to to help me lead an old gospel hymn that I grew up singing. A lot of you may not know this hymn, and that's okay. Um, I want to say up front that it, honestly, it never really was a favorite hymn of mine. Um, though it was, it was a favorite of my grandmother's. So, um, at my church growing up, the hymn was always performed, kind of with this heavy, you know, sort of nostalgic um, overtones. And I, I am aware of some enlightened um, hymnologists who have criticized it for like smacking of Victorian sentimentality. All of that said, you know, my perspective on this hymn has changed. Quite a lot in light of what we've talked about today, what I've learned about repetition. So let me tell you a little bit about um, the hymn writer, a Victorian-era woman by uh, the name of Kate Hankey. Kate grew up in a wealthy London family, but was strongly influenced by social reform movements and uh, particularly by Methodist revivalism. She spent many years in South Africa as a missionary and a nurse. Um, she was bedridden for a number of months with a serious illness, and during that time, she wrote a 100-verse devotional poem, (laughs) as one does. (laughs) So we're expecting that from Mark, right? (laughs) 100 verses. Look look to Kate Hankey. Um, so, um, So out of this, hundred verse devotional poem, we're going to sing three verses. Some hymnals have four verses of this particular poem, but I want to direct your attention before we sing to some of the lyrics. So um, if we could go ahead to verse two. Verse two, I love to tell the story, tis pleasant to repeat. What seems each time I tell it, more wonderfully sweet tis pleasant to repeat wonderfully sweet yes she is getting at the power and the pleasure of the repetition of the christian story that we heard from chesterton and then if we could skip to verse three i love to tell the story for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest There is the picture of Christian maturity, the restoration of childlike delight of do it again. Let me hear it again. So at the end of verse 3, also, I absolutely love the way um, the hymn writer depicts repetition in the worship of heaven itself. My prayer for us today is that we will be able to affirm with the hymn writer as we rise to new life And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, t'will be the old, old story that I have loved so long.
0: Thank you for listening to the London School of Theology podcast.
1: To find out more about
0: LST and our courses, please visit our website.